0: Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for this class. I thank you for this opportunity to, uh, to look into your word. I pray that you would give us patient hearts to listen to your word this morning. Uh, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard emotion to uh, get our minds and hearts around. And I pray that you would give us wisdom in how to do that. Uh, through your word. I thank you. I pray these things through Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you together with the Holy Spirit, one God forever praised. Amen. All right. So we're going to be Psalm 137. Don't read ahead. (laughs) It's got a surprise ending. Psalm 137. You've probably never heard a sermon on it. It is one that a lot of people, when they are, say, teaching, preaching through the psalms, you skip, because it is the angriest psalm in the Psalter. It is unsheathed, unvarnished anger let fly in the presence of the Lord, and... I think that is why when you're thinking about anger and what that is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to handle it as believers, it's kind of the ideal place to go, but it's a hard place to go. But anger is a hard emotion, so that's why it's a hard place to go. Psalm 137, just want to say three things about anger before we dive into the psalm, just by way of introduction and reminder uh we're looking at each emotion we looked last time i was here at god's anger what does god's anger look like it's a slow anger when he gets angry his first inclination is not to react with destruction but to react with mercy to react by condescending to the object of his anger and bringing about redemption or at, at the, the next time we see his anger in the book of Exodus, when we talked about it, he uh, listens to this intercession from Moses, right? And he turns away from his anger because Moses offers his life in the place of the life of the people. And so the Lord is ready and willing to turn away from his anger. And he's ready and willing to use his anger to motivate him towards constructive, merciful action. But anger is dangerous. It's like dynamite. you got to handle it with care for us, especially in our fallen natures. So anger does three things. It communicates, like every emotion. It has a thing. It's trying to communicate something to us. It's trying to motivate us towards a certain action. And it's trying to connect us to God and to one another. So first, what is anger trying to communicate? What What is anger doing? Anger is the emotion that you feel in response to injustice. Something is wrong. You evaluate something that is happening that is, that is wrong, and it needs to stop. And anger is the emotional reaction, the emotional experience of something when you see something unjust or wrong. And it moves you to defend, to defend, to protect, to destroy the thing that is unjust, and to protect the object of that injustice. Now, it, it, it moves you to, uh, to see the victim of injustice and move to protect them. Now, that statement alone can reveal a lot about our anger. Uh, when Who are you most often? If, now, this is just a confession. When you get angry, who are you most often moving in the defense of? ourselves, right? We're, we, we, what does that tell us about? What, is, what does that immediately communicate about most of our anger? It's selfish that we're the object of so much victimization. Everybody's against me. Everything's against me. Every, every, every action every, every action done by anybody, any words spoken by anybody, that was an attack on me, and I'm just, woe is me. I'm a poor, unjustly treated person. I'm a victim. Like, and so we move in anger to protect ourselves. Now, because we're good Christians, what we'll do is we'll kind of justify it. We'll pretend like we're, oh, I'm, this is righteous anger. I'm really angry because of so and so. But you're really getting angry because you love yourself. Uh, we find mo- most of our anger is always sort of jumping to our own self-defense. We'll get into more of that in a minute. Second, the motivation, the anger is meant to uh, move us to change, to correct a wrong, to correct an injustice, or to right a wrong. Anger is meant to, its like I said, it's like dynamite. Dynamite can move mountains. If there's a mountain in the way of where you want your road to go, you need dynamite, and you're going to blow up that mountain. But it's got to be it's controlled to be useful for anything other than just you know, blowing yourself up. It's got to be controlled. It's got to be uh, slow and planned and patient, the action that follows from anger. Now, anger, more than any other emotion, requires that you slow down. Now, that seems antithetical to the nature of anger, right? Because what is anger wanting you to do? Take immediate action, move, get something done, destroy this injustice. But the Bible uh, says what you need to do, first thing you need to do is just pump the brakes. Slow down. Don't just vent your anger, don't stuff your anger, but have slow anger. You You don't need anger that blows and you don't need anger that, that's, that's not there. You don't need no anger. You don't need blow anger. We need slow anger. You know, anger is best served like brisket, you know, slow cooked. You know, you want it, you want it low and slow. That's the goal. Anger is uh, associated with heat. So I like that metaphor. Anyway, so I also, I like the meat. Uh, Third, we're connecting to one another. It's meant to connect us to other people and to God. Now, that seems weird, right, with anger? How would anger connect us with each other? The whole thing, the most of what we're going to talk about today in the psalm is how how does anger connect us to God. But I want to talk for a second about how does anger connect us to one another. Nobody likes suffering alone. That's good. That's a good word yes we absolutely it can here's the difference between what it can do and what it ought to do what is God's intention for good anger God's intention is that it would connect us to one another now what we're gonna do is we're gonna use it to blow others away that's what we typically do with it right but God wants to teach us to use it to connect to one another because it's not as soon as we take as soon as we anger stops moving in my own self-defense here's how anger connects us to each other if you were to uh find something uh reproachful in me and uh and word would get around that you said something about chad and his teaching and he's oh i can't believe he said this or that and my wife hears about it, she's sweet. She's, she is a sweet woman, but the fire <laughs> in her eyes when she thinks that I am being treated unjustly scares me. <laughs> and it scares me all the more because she, I know how slow to anger is, she is. I know how sweet and kind she is. But then when she, see, when she thinks that I'm being treated unjustly i know that she loves me more in that moment than at any other time because she turns into a tiger there is it's terrifying and it, and i feel the love i feel the connection here's somebody who doesn't want to see me suffer injustice and will move and i have to rest you know i've had to restrain her in the past we can't we can't do that you know uh, you know and, but it feels very good. It feels very uh, connective and protective, uh, because that's what anger is meant to do. When my kids see me get angry on their behalf, I think they would communicate that they feel more loved at those times. You know, they wonder, does Daddy really care? If I'm suffering this injustice, I want to. They want to see. They want to see their parents move in action to defend and protect them. Now you have to evaluate, you know, it's two sides to every story. Every, one man sounds right until you get the other side. And then you're also dealing, most of their uh, conflict is between, both all of them are your kids. So they all need to feel protected and things like that. But there's a sense in which your anger can be perceived as a good thing for you, for them, because they see it in defense of them, they see what it's doing. So that's kind of, those are ways that it can be connected and that it's intended to be. Now, we abuse it. It's the most easily abused, like, out of every other emotion. There's no other emotion that the Bible deals with that it just flat out, besides fear, that it just flat out commands you, don't feel this way. (laughs) Like, do something about this. Like, uh, that there are commands to not get angry. Don't let anger rule over you, uh, and things like that. But, How do we do that? Psalm 137. Here we go. I'm going to be reading from the CSB because I like that translation a little better, but whatever you have. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, there we hung up our lyres on the poplar trees. For our captors there asked us for songs and our tormentors for rejoicing. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem as my greatest joy. Remember, Yahweh, what the Edomites said that day at Jerusalem. Destroy it, destroy it, down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you've done to us. Happy is he who takes your little ones, and dashes them against the rocks. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a hard word. It's an angry word. A couple of things. First, I just want to put it into context. What we have here is someone who is, who is a victim of injustice, who is a victim of evil, who is a victim uh, who has seen terrible things, terrible things that um, thankfully we in America don't have to see very much. But think about refugee camps full of people whose families have been murdered. Think about ISIS and how they chased people out in Syria. And those ref- they, when people sat down in those refugee camps, what they had seen, their children ripped from their arms and murdered. This was common. It's hard to care for infants when you're capturing uh, a people group and trying to repopulate them. So what you do is you just kill their children. And the way you did that as an invading army was you dashed them against the rocks. You dashed them on the ground. Now, let this—I'm let this, well, going to show you how what the psalmist is asking is not as horrifying as it—it's it's horrifying. But he is making an appeal for justice because this was what was done to him. This was what was done to his people. And so that's one thing. That's one context that you have to see this psalm in the light of. Two, it's real injustice, it's real suffering. Two, there's this line about the Edomites that cheered let no stone be, tear it down, tear it down. The Edomites, who are the Edomites to Judah? They're sort of a cousin nation. You know, Jacob, Esau, they're the descendants of Esau, they live near Judah. And when the Babylonians came in and laid siege to Jerusalem, they came down, they circled around the, the Babylonians and cheered them on. They wanted to see Jerusalem fall and be destroyed. They came and brought food and water out to the Babylonian army and said, hey, here you go. Hey, you're doing great. Tear it down. Yeah! They cheered for the destruction and the Horrible violence that was being brought to Jerusalem. So those are two things that he remembers. These specific instances of injustice that he brings to the Lord. So that being said, those two things. Third, he's. he's I want to point this out. He's an eyewitness. Like this is this is fresh in his memory. He's writing this song on the banks of a river, in the refugee camp. And so this is the heart's cry of someone who can't sleep at night because he's got PTSD because of the horrors that he's seen. And it's the immediate aftermath. So a lot, a lot of people don't want to be gracious with this guy and, his, and the cry of his heart, but this is the word of the Lord. So let's let him speak. So he does three things that I want us to see about anger. Very simple things. One, he owns his anger. He owns it. Doesn't try to deny it. Doesn't try to move away from it. Doesn't say, oh, really wasn't that bad. You know, they, they, they murdered our children, but it wasn't that bad. He, he refuses to move away from the anger. He owns it. Two, he prays his anger. He owns it in the presence of God. He takes it to God. He doesn't let this anger, this hatred make him flee from God. He goes to God with it. And third, he limits his anger. Now that sound we'll get there. It sounds like he does not limit his anger, right? Happy is the one who dashes the little ones against the rocks. That doesn't sound like limited anger. But I will show you how it, it is. It is. It is. He is limiting his anger and trusting God. So first, he owns his anger. He says, "By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept, when we remembered Zion. On the willows or, the, or the, the the trees, we hung up our lyres, for there were ca- there our captors demanded of us songs." Our tormentors, they, demand, they demanded mirth and joy. They said, sing us the songs of Zion. They're, and he says, how shall we sing the Lord's songs? If I forget you, Jerusalem, if I forget you, I, I may my right hand, he's a musician playing the lyre, may it forget its skill and may my tongue cling to my mouth. If I mock you, if I give in to their, mock, their demand to mock you. Because what are they doing? The captors are saying, hey, You know those songs that you guys used to sing? In Zion, you used to go up to worship. And what did you used to say? Our God is a great God. He's a great king above all gods. Oh, well, that's funny. You're sitting here and you're captives. We've got you. We sacked your city. We tear down your wall. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You remember there's not a stone left on one one stone on another of your temple. Sing us one of those songs about how your God's bigger and stronger and mighty and He's the God of all the earth and He favors you. The God of all creation favors you and yet you sit here in captivity. Sing us one of those songs. Do you see how it's mocking? He's not just mocking them, He's mocking God. The the people are mocking God. They're mocking the fact that Reality does not seem to live up to their claim that their God is the God of all the earth. And what does he do? Here's what the psalmist doesn't do. He doesn't say, he doesn't just give in and go, well, fine. He doesn't get cynical, throw up his hands and just go, fine, I'll sing you a song, whatever saves me more trouble. Because what he does is he does an act of protest. He refuses to obey the command of his captors. They say, sing us a song, and he takes his lyre, and he goes over to a tree, and he hangs it up, and he goes and sits down to weep and says, I can't sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land. Like... That, can seem, that sounds despondent, right? But it's an act of protest. I'm sure this guy suffered. This psalmist, was, was I don't want to imagine what they did to him to do an act of protest like that when you're in a POW camp. They probably beat him. They might have killed him. They might have put him near death. They might have killed some of them because he says, we, this is all the worship leaders, go over and hang their harps. I mean, he had to live to write the psalm, so at least one of them had to make it out. But they did this act of protest because he refuses to let go of his anger. He refuses to call what was unjust, just. And he refuses to give in and become cynical. He lets his anger motivate him to do an action that is not destructive of the Babylonians. He doesn't attack his captors. He just refuses to give in to their demand. So, he moves in anger to do an act of protest. And he doesn't deny his anger. What, what do we do with anger? Stuff it down, deny it. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand if, you're, if you think you're an angry person. They've got some honest people and some liars. Everybody who raised their hand is honest. Everybody who didn't is lying to me. (laughs) Or doesn't have kids yet. (laughs) Obviously, life will conspire to reveal to you that you are an angry person, that anger is there. You may not call it anger. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. That's like saying, I'm not angry, I'm just angry. What about, has somebody wronged you in some way? And, you know, let's say that somebody wronged you in some way four or five years ago. What happens in your heart when you think about that? If you're honest with yourself. Are you just, do you just start immediately praying for them? You just immediately, Lord bless them. Oh, yes, I'm so filled with the Spirit and with joy that my immediate reaction when I think about these people who did this horrible wrong to me is just, Lord bless them. Lord, I, you know, just you use, just, you just, you're that sanctified. Is that what your heart does immediately? No, it starts with bitterness, it starts with going, ugh. You start to feel the steam and the heat again. And then what do you do? You, what I like to do is just kind of pack it down or let it explode. He doesn't do either of those. He owns it. Now, uh, ancient people, what I like about this is a lot of modern people tend to think uh, the, the, uh, our modern culture has sort of embraced this. You need to just express your anger. Just let it out. But then they'll uh, hate on ancient people that seem to be very deeply in touch with their emotions because they'll come to a passage like this and go, dash their little ones against the rocks. Like, that's a horrible thing to think. And it is. But we can't look back and condemn what he's demanding. So we'll get there. I've got to speed up. All right. So here's what the Bible wants you to do we don't deny our anger, we don't stuff it down. We need to, and don't let bitterness thrive like this poisonous thing. We have to take our anger to God. We have to process it in God's presence. So notice what he does. He takes his anger to God. He's angry. He hangs up the harp, and he's not going to sing. And then he goes in verse 7, Remember, O Yahweh, Against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, happy is he who repays you for what he's done. So he begins to pray his anger. Now notice what he's doing. The commentators like to say that he's, he's using this idea of remembering is like courtroom language. It's like he's entering the courtroom. And he is going to God, the great judge, and saying, I have come to demand justice on behalf of your people. And he begins to process his emotions in the presence of God. He says, remember what they did. Don't let your anger, when you feel angry or you feel like you hate somebody or something like that, don't let that Put a barrier between you and God. Take it to God. God can handle it. And don't go to Him and pretend you're not angry. He knows your heart. He knows the truth. Go to Him and be honest about how it feels and why it feels that way and what you think ought to be done. Here's what He says. He says, He tells God, He has this opening statement where He says, God, remember what was done to us and then he says, then he, then he limits his anger. So he, he prays his anger. He says, remember, O Lord. He goes to the Lord. Then he starts to limit his anger. And this is what I mean by it's a court case. First, he, uh, he kind of swears himself in. Saying, remember me, O Jerusalem, is like swearing in on the Bible. It's like, remember, O Jerusalem. It's, it's like, uh, it's, he's, it's oath language. Then he offers this two two pieces of evidence. The Edomites, they cheered for our city to be destroyed. This was one of the injustices that was done against us. And the Babylonians, they took... I was standing right next to a friend of mine and we were trying to get out of the city and she was carrying her baby and we were sneaking out and we were almost out and then the baby cried out and some of the people who were besieging the city heard and they came over and snatched the baby out of her arms and they dashed it against the rocks. That's the kind of experience that he's saying. That's what they did. That's what they did and it was right before me so he calls to god and he, and then he suggests an appropriate punishment what does he suggest he says this is what should be done to them it should be done to them exactly as what was done to us that's just demanding justice right he's demanding justice that what the evil that they did would come back on them he doesn't ask for more than justice he doesn't ask for more. He doesn't ask them to be punished worse than what they did to them. But he does ask for them to be paid back. And he proposes a sentence. And when he asks God to remember, he's asking God to act. Asking God to remember is, he's not as, it's not as though uh, God forgets. He is asking God to act and bring justice. Now, how is this limiting his anger? Notice what he's not doing. He's not taking a vow before the Lord, going, I will repay them. Lord, strengthen me. Lord, use my hand to repay the Babylonians. Help me, Lord, to launch an insurrection from the inside and start to tear down Babylon and kill them. Give me a chance to tear the babies out of their arms. Is that what he says? No. He's not taking vengeance into his own hands. He's trusting that the God of justice will do what is right will repay evil for the evil that's done, that, they, that, it will, that evil will be punished, that every crime, no sin sinned under heaven will ever be unpunished. Now, why is it important that we entrust God to that and not take it into our own hands? Paul says, brothers, never avenge yourselves, but entrust to the one who judges justly. God's the only one who can judge justly. Who knows every circumstance, who knows everything that was done wrong, and the degree to which it should, needs to be punished, and the time that he wants to give to every individual. We don't know the time scale of every individual's life and whether he's gonna bring some of those Babylonians who did these horrible things. What, what is God's intention with, what is one of God's intentions sending his people into exile among the Babylonians? He says in Jeremiah pray for the people. Set up houses in the city. Set up houses and live among the people who murdered your children. Plant gardens, move in, and love your neighbor. (laughs) Work for the welfare of the city. One of God's reasons for sending His people into exile is to redeem Babylonians. And we see that that actually gets accomplished in history. a—it's getting close to Christmas. Where do the Magi come from? The East. What's east of Jerusalem? Persia, Babylon. <laughs> the that this the the nation that gets that becomes Persia was Babylon. Who was in charge of the Magi during the when Judah was in exile? who was the chief man among the Magi? Daniel. God takes one of His people, one of His faithful ones, and puts him in a position of power among the people that are bloodthirsty killers and puts him in this position of power for his entire life, for 70 years he serves. And he establishes how do the Magi know that they should be looking for a Messiah? They've read the book of Daniel. They're followers of Yahweh. And they. so the leaders of the, the soothsayers, those who were advisors to the king because of what Daniel did, for those 400 years it persists. You've got this persistent group of leaders for 400 years that are... Faithfully studying God's word and worshiping the true God in the midst of the most pagan nation on the world in the in the world, God is redeeming. He's working to redeem, and it was it worked. So he limits his anger. He doesn't try to. uh, He he sees God's purposes and and lets God be the one who's going to bring justice and bring vengeance. Now, we there's a big debate over whether uh, imprecatory... They're called, these are called imprecatory psalms, psalms that imprecate, psalms that pronounce curses on other people. And there's a big debate as to whether Christians ought to pray imprecatory psalms. Should we pronounce curses on our enemies? Should we be asking God to... Repay, to pay back the sins. Shouldn't we, are we supposed to love our enemies? Well, yes. But one, this is another troubling thing. In the book of Revelation, you got martyrs underneath the throne in this honored, privileged position real close to God. So this is as close to God as you can get. And what are they praying? Does anybody know? They are praying imprecations. How long, O Lord, till you avenge us? How long, O Lord, until you bring justice on the earth and punish sins? But God is patient. God is waiting. Why? Because every sin will be judged. Every sin you ever sinned will be judged. It will come under the righteous wrath of God. Either in the future when Jesus returns and judges the earth, or it's all, the judgment has already fallen on it. In the past. And so one way that we can pray imprecations, and this is kind of the way that I have done this in my own practice in dealing with anger, when I'm angry at people and I'm asking God to bring justice, I'm asking God punish their sin, punish their sin, O Lord, but punish their sin in Jesus. I would prefer, O Lord, that you punish their sin in Jesus so you don't have to punish their sin in them. I want them to believe the gospel, so punish their sin. Lord, let let the punishment for their sin fall on Him. And Jesus, He took this. This is one psalm in Luke 19 that Jesus quotes before He goes into the city. He quotes it. In Luke 19, He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the day will come upon you when your enemies will dash you to the ground, you and your children. They'll dash you against the rocks, you and your children. They will not leave one stone on another. He's quoting. He's taking the words of this psalm and adapting them. Jesus is deliberately taking this and saying, this is going to happen again. What happened back then, it's going to happen again. This is, this is going to happen in the future. And it did happen in AD 70. The Romans came in and sacked the city, and every historian in the world will say it was the most atrocious bloodbath in the history of the world. And what is, what is Jesus saying here? He's grieving over it. He's grieving. He's not angry at this moment. It doesn't say he's angry right now. It says he's grieved. In Luke 19, he's grieved over it. And he says, if you only knew the hour of your visitation, if you only knew who I was and who was visiting you, you would repent. You would turn back. Jesus... He... uh, the psalmist is angry. He's asking, "What about what about our little ones? They're not going to be punished for what they've done to our little ones. They're not going to be punished for how they mocked and decried us." But and, and Jesus stands there, not angry, but then says, "Not let their let the injustice let let the." Let the anger and the wrath fall on them. The Father gives Jesus, he's he's comparing himself because the wrath that comes on them in AD 70, he says, I'm going to take it first. I can either take this wrath that is to come, I can drink this cup of judgment that's coming and take it on myself on the cross or it's going to fall on the rest of the city. And so he, in Jesus The Father's little one is taken from His arms and dashed against the rocks. He is is dashed against the rock of our sin, crushed under its weight. He takes that on Himself. Why? Because sin has to be paid for. It creates a debt. And if He were to say, if you were to say this, if you were to say, God, bring," ab- if God were to answer this psalmist's prayer, bring absolute justice on the earth right now, if He'd have brought that, if, if, if God would have answered that prayer as He was praying it in Babylon, what would have happened? If you say to God, Lord, bring absolute justice on the earth for, at 12 noon today. Don't make plans for 1201. Because you will suffer too. It's before Christ. He couldn't answer that prayer by bringing absolute judgment, right? Because then everybody, every single human being would have been wiped out. And so he answers this prayer of anger. Bring your justice. Punish every sin. Make sure no sin escapes your punishment. He answers this prayer in Jesus Christ. That's how you can be both just. He can be just and the justifier of the guilty. He can forgive your sins because they're paid for, and He paid that debt. He pays the cost to restore the broken relationship with us. So that's the three things that we need to do with our anger. One, we have to own it. I guess the fourth is kind of a fourth thing. Own it. (laughs) Pray it. Take it before God. Let Him have it. Let Him hear it. Let Him hear about every unjust thing. And you know what will happen a lot of times in the middle of that? You'll start to see the prayer part is where you start to go, oh, maybe I'm just really concerned about myself. And He'll reveal that to you. So take it to God. Pray it. Let Him purify it. Let Him limit it so it doesn't cause tremendous damage. Trust. Him to do what is right and what is just and that every sin sinned against you will be punished either in Jesus Christ or in the person who sinned and so the the fourth part of the prayer that this psalmist couldn't do that we can the fourth part of what we can do with our anger is entrust the justice to God and you know he is so committed to doing what is right and making sure that 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 sin that was sinned against you, he is going to make sure that it was punished. He is so committed to making sure that every sin is punished, he takes the punishment for them on himself. And then what that does with anger is it makes you start to pray for your... that's, That's where you get to really praying for your enemies, because then you're saying, Lord, their sin deserves horrible punishment. Just like mine. So please punish it in Jesus instead of in them so that they can escape the wrath of God to come. So help them trust in the one who was dashed against the rocks so they don't have to be. That's anger. Thanks. Let me pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you will help us to deal with anger in a very healthy way, to own it, to recognize that there's injustice in the world and to take that anger, to carry it before you, to feel it in your presence, to let the pure parts of it that we feel at real injustice, start to line up with the things that make you angry and your anger and remove from it any impurity. And and then help us to act in ways that are constructive. Help us to pray for our enemies and to see uh, that their sin can be, they can be saved from their sin because the punishment has fallen on Christ. Help anger to drive us, to move us to that place, to where we are uh, not denying injustices, but demanding justice be done in the forgiveness of, their, of the sins of our enemies. Thank you. I pray that you will help us to have insight into this dynamic and to be strengthened and made less angry people because we trust that the God of justice will do right and that you're committed to justice. Help us to see the proof of that in your Son, through whom I pray. Amen.